0: Matthew chapter 5, I'll read verses 1 to 10. Now when he saw the crowds, he went upon the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Over the last few months, while I, when I've been preaching, we've been looking at these verses in Matthew's Gospel, which are often known as the Beatitudes, and um, it's the start of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we've seen that these statements, uh, blessed are thee, and then going on and saying the poor in spirit, the, those who mourn the meek, th- these statements are a description of what God is making us into As we follow Jesus, as we give our lives to God and as we follow him, this is what he is transforming us, he's making us into more and more. We've looked at what it means to be poor in spirit, knowing that we're totally dependent on God for everything. We've looked at what it means to be those who mourn uh, as we look on a world which is heading uh, towards destruction and and, uh, almost running, uh, hurtling away from God, um, which does motivate us to reach people with the good news of the gospel. Uh, Last time we looked at this we saw what it meant to be meek and we took Moses as an example of someone who uh, refused to defend themselves when their own integrity and character was attacked, but let God do the justifying. Yet when it came to God's uh, character, He was He was there, uh, standing for God in all that He was in all that He was doing and saying. So this week we're coming to um, verse six, and we're going to look at this in a bit more detail. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. For righteousness, for they will be filled. And I guess the first question that we need to answer, or ask and then answer in this, is what does it mean uh, about righteousness? What is this righteousness um, that we hunger and thirst after? Um, And it's not totally clear-cut. I mean, in one sense, you could, when we looked at blessed are the meek, there's very few occasions, I think only maybe two occasions in the rest of the Bible, where the word meek is used. So we could look at those and we could clearly see what it meant to be meek. But with, uh, with this word, righteousness, uh, or to be righteous, there's many different words at times that that word uh, is used in the Bible and with different meanings. And um, we want to know what it's talking about here. Um, some people do think that this verse is talking about uh, a kind of justice, a justice to those who are oppressed. Um, a new day coming for those who are literally hungry and thirsty. Um, that they, they will be blessed, but one day they will be filled. They won't be hungry and thirsty any longer. Um, you know, all about poverty injustice and justice and all of these things. And, of course, the Bible has much to say about how God is a God of justice and how he wants his people to be concerned with justice as well. Isaiah 58 there's a whole chapter dedicated to, uh, to looking at, at, at this really and, and what true fasting is. And We, we, we won't read through it all, but um, in verse 6 of Isaiah 58, God says, You know, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to uncut, untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away? From your own flesh and blood, uh, God is a God who is, is supremely concerned with issues of justice and righteousness. In that sense, and um, He hates it, injustice. And um, part of God's kingdom coming on earth will be a reversal of some of these things where injustice has been done towards people. As Christians, we shouldn't ignore these issues. These are things that we—it's right to be concerned about. It's right to be involved in. But I don't believe that that is what Jesus was talking about here. I don't think that that's what these verses are talking about. Because the other uses of the word um, righteousness um, in and around this passage actually point to something else. So, for example, even in verse 10, which we've just read. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't think what is in mind there is, is persecuted for standing up on behalf of, of the poor. I believe that that is about being persecuted for living your life the way that God has called us to live our lives. And then further on in verse 20, uh, Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, what's he talking about there? Unless your righteousness is greater than the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Well, he he goes on and explains, because the next few sections of this, uh, of this chapter go on and say, for example, he talks about murder. Straight on, verse 21, you've heard it was said to the people a long ago, don't murder. Um, but I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. He goes on and talks about adultery in the same way, and divorce. Um, these are things where he's talking about how we live our lives. What's, how, 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 our lives match up with God? Really. And he's saying, look, that you don't have this standard down here and just think that that's okay. This is what God is wanting. If you are, if you are setting out to live a pure and righteous life, this is what God's wanting. And of course, we read those verses and we, we just think, well, how can we do that? How can we, how can we, we never, uh, how can we live our lives, never be angry with, with our, with our brother or our friend? Uh, how can we, Live our lives, he says about adultery, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He said, it's like the standard is too high. And of course the standard is too high for us without God, which is exactly why Jesus came. But these are the sort of issues that, that Jesus is talking about here. And this is what I believe he is in view when he says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled it means a, a, a great desire, a hungering and a thirsting, a desire in a, for our lives to change, for our lives to change, for our lives to become more Christ-like, to live a holy life, to be fully rid of sin in our lives. And that doesn't come about by trying harder. Because if you've ever tried that, it, you just know it doesn't work. We can't live a more holy life, lifestyle just simply by, by trying harder, by doing better. We're totally... Dependent on God in this. Yet there is a response comes from us that we hunger and we thirst for it. We, we seek more of it. We say, God, God, will you give me this? You know, all of us, uh, whether we know God or not, all of us have a desire and a longing in our hearts. Ecclesiastes, and chapter 3, talks about this desire and longing. Ecclesiastes 3 and verse 11 says about God. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. He has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. What does that mean? What does it mean that God has set eternity in our hearts? Well, it means all of us experience a longing and desire for something greater than we experience now. And the Bible tells us that's a desire and a longing for eternity. It's a desire and longing for an eternity with God. Something far better than than we have now. A desire to get back to the original state between God and man. A desire to have an easy and a loving relationship with God as Adam and Eve did before they sinned. A desire to be free from the power and the control that sin has over our lives. That's what it means to have for God to have put eternity into our hearts. But the verse goes on and says, we can't fathom it. We can't work out what God's done. We don't, we don't get it. We just don't get it. In other words, we've got this, this aching and longing in our hearts for something different, something more, something that's going to satisfy us, something that's going to fulfill us. But we just don't know what that is. We don't know what it is. We just know there's meant to be something better than this. We just know that that there's something greater. So we, we go on a search for happiness. We embark on a search for happiness. We look for it in different places. We, uh, apart from God, we look for it in, in going on a holiday. We look for it in a, a kind of creative outlet in our life. We look for it in by going to amazing shows or, or 3D movies or, or, or whatever. We look for it in, in getting a, a bigger and a, a better HD TV, um, which, uh, which we actually know doesn't satisfy if you watch the World Cup, because you end up missing key goals by watching it on HD, whereas you should just stick to what you normal area. <laughs> World Cup. We look for it in the World Cup uh, and think, oh, this is, this is going to give us something greater. We look for it um, in sex. We look for it in drugs. We look for it in money. We look for it in in working hard and, 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 and being better at management uh, like we see on The Apprentice and things like that. The list can go on and on and on. And not all of those things are, are wrong in and of themselves. Not all of those things you could look at and say, oh, that's clearly sin. But but if we pursue those things to try and gain happiness, if we pursue all of those things to find fulfillment in our life, to try and, and, and satisfy what God has put in our heart, this longing for eternity, we're always going to remain unsatisfied. The grass will always seem greener than where we are standing. Andy prayed out, you know, from kind of what Paul was saying as well in the Bible, you know, everything Everything is rubbish compared to knowing you. But we, but we search after these things b- before we know God. And even sometimes when we do know God and we forget about that, we search after these things to find this meaning in our life. I was just, um, I was just looking at, at an article on the internet, even this morning, New York Times, and someone was writing, those searching for a deep meaningful, uh, narrative-driven experience will generally have to look elsewhere. He's saying, you know, you, you, you can't find it here. He's been searching for it here. What was he searching it in? He says, don't get me wrong, I like my casual games, but sometimes I just want more. It was about gaming on the internet. He was saying, these games, they're quite good, but they leave me wanting more. Yeah, they will leave you wanting more, because everything, however you go and look for this satisfaction, you will have this desire of saying, it just doesn't satisfy me. It just leaves me wanting more. I'm still hungry. I'm still thirsty. God's put this hunger and thirst in our hearts to turn to him. But so often we'd just rather turn to to something else. Oh, the new iPad, that will do it. Better kitchen. No, it won't work. It won't work. We'll still have that hunger and thirst in our hearts. The Bible tells us it is so. Isaiah 55. And verse 2 and 3. Isaiah 55 says... I'll read from verse 1. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who've got no money, come by and eat. Come by wine and milk. Without money, without cost. We don't have to pay for this. We can be hungry and thirsty. And God's saying, come, eat, drink. You don't have to pay price has been paid. He says, why spend money on what's not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy me? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. God's put in a promise before us. He's saying, why are you doing this? Why are you spending money, money, money on things that are not going to satisfy you? Come to me. Come to me with your hunger and thirst and I will satisfy you. You've got no money. It doesn't matter. It's free. It's free. I will provide for you. Jeremiah, and chapter 2. Jeremiah, chapter 2 and verse 13. Let me just find that. Says, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God's saying they've forsaken me. They've forsaken me. The spring of living water. The water that will satisfy. And what have they done? They've gone and they've thought, we'll find it elsewhere. We'll build our own systems. We'll, we'll provide the water. We'll provide the life. And he's saying it's broken. It's broken. It, it leaks. It doesn't hold water. It never satisfies. It never satisfies. We are drinking from broken systems. C.S. Lewis said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in the world can satisfy the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. Read that again. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. We were. We were made for another world. God has put eternity in our hearts. Many of us just can't work it out. We can't fathom it. We don't get it. I tell you, God's wanting to reveal it to us today. Maybe some who have never known, never known this God. God's wanting to reveal it to you today. Maybe some of us who, who yeah, we've known God, but, but actually we've gone off. We've gone off and we've got involved in other things. God's wanting to bring us back. We've had this theme of the of kind of the prodigal, prodigal son going all the way through, almost this meeting, even what Anne, Anne sang out. I'll come back to this in a minute, but you know, we need to go back to God if we've gone away from him. I mean, maybe we don't actually know what it means to be hungry and thirsty. Maybe we've not actually got to the point where, where, we've, where we know how hungry and thirsty we are. Because we can desert God, and we can go after these other things. And we can think, yeah, we're okay. We're okay, this is satisfying us for now. We soon realise it doesn't satisfy us long term, but we think it'll do for now, we'll get the next thing and the next thing and the next thing, and we keep on going, and we don't actually realise quite how hungry and thirsty we are. I guess many of us in 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 this nation don't really know what it's like to be really hungry and thirsty. I'm not sure I know what it's like to be really, really hungry, so that I'm absolutely desperate for food. The nearest I can remember to, to to being so thirsty is when I had my wisdom teeth out when I was about eighteen years, nineteen years old, and they and they injected uh, my mouth with something to make it dry, um, and, uh, and I wasn't allowed to eat and drink for a while and I had a general anaesthetic. And when I came round from that general anaesthetic, the first thing that I knew was how thirsty I was. Apparently, what I said to the nurse who was by me was, "Can I have a pint of bitter?" I don't remember that. You know, I was a bit woozy at the time. I, I'm sure that wasn't right. Anyway, she didn't give me a she didn't give me a pint of bitter. She gave me she gave me a glass of water. She gave me a pint of water. I tell you, that was the best water I have ever tasted. Because I was so thirsty, and I drank that water. I thought, Ah, oh, this is amazing. It was better than any beer. It was amazing. When we're truly hungry and thirsty, we turn to God. A guy called J.N. Darby said, To be hungry is not enough. I must be really starving to know what is in his heart towards me. When the prodigal son was hungry, he went to feed on husks from pigs. When he was starving, he turned to the father. When he was hungry, he said, I'll go and eat with pigs. I'm desperate. I'll try this last thing. When he was starving, he said, I'm going back to the father. And he got up from where he was with the pigs and despite fearing ridicule and rejection and persecution and embarrassment, he got up and he went back to his father. And today, like the prodigal son, you might be here. Knowing that you're far away from God, just trying other things. Maybe you're still sort of at the fringe of the church. You're probably sitting on the edge. You're probably sitting towards the back. Because you're not sure. You're not really fully engaged. But you, you're kind of here, but you know. You know you've gone away from God. You know you've lost what you once had. And God's wanting to bring you a point of, to a point of being really hungry and thirsty for Him this morning and to come back. And we've already heard in that wonderful prophetic song that Anne sang out, just about God's response to us. God's going to welcome us with open arms. He's going to put a robe on us. He's going to put a ring on our finger. He's going to put sandals on our feet. He's going to say, welcome back. Celebrate. You were dead, but now you're alive again. God is wanting to welcome back this morning those who have tried other things, sin always promises never ever delivers maybe you are now beginning to just realize how hungry and thirsty you are come back to god he's made the way clear he'll forgive you immediately your sin will be immediately forgiven you'll know what it means to be satisfied in him god says come jesus says come to me those who are hungry and you'll never hunger again come who are thirsty you'll never thirst again We'll always be satisfied. We'll never have that nagging yearning that there must be something more. But what Jesus is talking about in these Beatitudes, I believe, is, is more than just coming to know for God's forgiveness in your life. Wonderful though that is. And that is where we first drink from God and, and eat from God and, and find the satisfaction and find this is it. This is what life's about. This is what etern- This is what God's put in my heart all this time. But God's not just wanting to leave it there. That's called justification, being made right with God. But that's not all that God wants to do. God wants to bring us about and change us. Change what we do. Change what we seek after. Change what we run after. Change, change our, our, how we live our lives. And the, and the word for that, I guess, is sanctification. But God's wanting to, to change something in us. He doesn't just leave us to carry on our sinful lives and keep on bringing forgiveness for us. Oh, you messed up again. Let me clear the mess up. Let me bring forgiveness. You messed up again. Let me clear up. He's wanting to bring us out of that. A bit like a child. When you get children, they, they make a mess. They make a mess. Parents, we have to clean up their mess all the time. Spilling drinks... Food everywhere, all over the mouse, our oh, parents cleaning it up, cleaning it up, as we grow up, though, we learn as parents, we teach our children to be to change so that they don 't keep making the same mess that 's what God wants to do with us. God teaches us to change our lives, He wants us to grow up in him it 's something that God brings about in us, but Because of our love for God, we're to desire it too. That's the hunger and the thirsting. We desire it too. Why do we desire it? Because we desire God. Because we know what it is to love God. And if we desire God and if we love God, we want to be more like Him. We want to do the things that please Him. We're desperate for Him. We're hungry. We're thirsty for him. Not in the way of, of knowing that we're trying to find something which is going to satisfy, but we've got a hunger and thirst in us now, which means that we want to know more of him. We're desperate for more of him. We just think, oh God, just give me more, give me more. I want to know more of you in my life. I want to be more like you. Psalm 42 uh, talks about, uh, it's quite famous, this, this, this line, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? We, we kind of, uh, and the psalm goes on, and, uh, but we kind of just take those two lines and then. Um, I don't think, there's a kind of old worship song, I don't think it's done us any favours in understanding these lines, because it's a bit too, it's a bit too kind of soppy, isn't it, if you know it,
1: it's
0: it's one of those things that you see being played on, um, probably on songs of praise or something, and then they have pictures in the background of of sort of flowers and little raindrops falling on the flowers, and Sort of streams of of, of sort flowing through the countryside, and it's all it's all very nice. It's all lovely, isn't it? That's not what that's not what the psalm is about here. That's not what the psalm's saying. The psalmist is not writing that and going, oh, life's all wonderful. He's desperate for God. You read through the rest of it, he's going, where is God? And his soul is downcast, he's disturbed. He's he's got all sorts of things going on in him. He feels that God's forgotten him. He says, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? You know, he's he's in absolute agonies. He's in absolute agonies. He's desperate for God. And he's saying, as the deer pants for the water, God, my soul is longing after you. I'm desperate for you. When the deer is panting for the water, the deer needs that water to live. It needs it to live, it needs to bring life, and it's a desperation. It's desperate imagery. And to be truly hungry and thirsty means to be desperate for God, to be proactive in looking for food and and, and for water from God, not just to kind of go, oh, yes, God God will provide for me whenever. It's like, no, I need you, God. I need to search you, to be active, not passive, to make some active choices in our life even, to actively pursue God, to actively pursue righteousness, to actively free from sin. Our goal is not just it's not just happiness. That we will get brought happiness. That's what it says. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's kind of happy. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness and we, we pursue it more, we will be happy. We will receive that happiness, that satisfaction that God gives us. But it's not about looking for happiness. It's actually about looking for holiness. It's about looking for holiness. We'll never achieve it if we look for happiness. Sometimes looking for holiness brings us pain. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. But we pursue it anyway, knowing that ultimately we will be satisfied. Ultimately, we will be happy. If there was someone who was in pain and the doctor came to, to, to see them, or they went to the doctor and they said, Doctor, I'm in, I'm in this sort of pain. Would the doctor be a good doctor if he just got rid of the pain? Prescribed some painkillers, some strong painkillers, said that should help you, that should you won't feel the pain anymore. If the doctor didn't deal with the underlying issue, whatever that was in the body, then that wouldn't be a good doctor. The doctor needs to deal with the underlying issue. Sometimes that means going through more pain more discomfort. But it will bring about heal, healing and wholeness. And sometimes we can be living our lives and we think, this can't be right. This can't be right, living, going through this, because, because we're, we're, we're struggling with it. We're, we're battling with these things of holiness or God's dealing with these things in us. Our life is difficult at the moment. It can't be God. God surely wants us to make us happy. Yeah, God wants us to make us happy. But he does it through making us holy. Holy. Not just by putting a sticking plaster on something. That's what the world does. The world tries to get rid of the pain without dealing with the underlying issues. It never works. So, what does it? What does it look like to hunger and thirst after righteousness? Well, as I've said before, earlier, it means it's kind of being in love with someone. If you're in love with God, you'll hunger and thirst after Him. You'll want it'll be the controlling passion in our lives. Our love of Jesus leads us to want to be with him, to know him more, to be more like him, to do what pleases him. Other things won't look anywhere near as attractive suddenly because we're seeing things in a different light. So we delight to be in his presence. We delight to be around him. We love to be around others who love him too. His church, the bride of Christ, So church meetings suddenly aren't, uh, aren't, aren't something that is, is a duty, something we've got to go to, or Sunday morning, got to go to church. We'll look forward to it. We'll delight to be here. We'll love to be with God's people. Other church meetings, core groups, prayer meetings, it's like, oh great, another opportunity to meet with God, to meet with His people, to encounter Him afresh, to worship Him, to receive from Him more that He's got for us, to encourage each other in Him. We'll be keen to apply teaching into our lives that we hear preached. We won't just sit there and think, oh, this would be a really good message for someone else. We'll think, "What God, what are you saying to me about this? How do you want to change me through this? Other things that it looks like to hunger and thirst after righteousness, we'd love to read his word. We'd love to read the Bible. Because it shows us more about him. It helps us to understand God better. It helps us to understand what sort of life God is wanting us to lead. We'll be far more excited about reading the word of God and about reading other books about the word of God than we will be about reading the latest Twilight book or Harry Potter book. Because it will grip us far more. And sin will have less appeal for us. We won't want to go back and be with the pigs. When the when the when the son who went back to his father received that robe and those sandals and the ring on his finger and and, and, and went into the party. Do you think he was thinking do you know actually I quite fancy going and back being with these pigs again for a bit? No. Of course not. He experienced the love of God in all its fullness, in all its richness, in all its mercy. That love and acceptance of being back in the family, called a son. Of course, it wasn't attractive to him. Not never mind the pigs, but even the other things which led to him being with the pigs. The things which the, you know the, the drink, the the, the 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 banquets, the the all the things that just looked so appealing before. When he said, I want, to, I want my inheritance and I want to go. None of that was appealing anymore. And as we, as we know God more in our lives, sin will have less appeal. We won't want to go. We'll stay away from that which harms our relationship with God. Even We'll even avoid things which are seemingly good. You know, I've said some of those things which are earlier on. And I said, it's not as though they're simple in and of themselves. But some things just aren't helpful at different times. And so we might start to change our lifestyle. We might start to change what we do, not because we're saying, oh, it's terrible, you shouldn't touch it. That's legalism. But just because we realize, actually, some of these things just aren't helpful for me at the moment. They're not helpful in my relationship with God. They dull my passion for God. In the same way as when, we, when we're hungry and we're, and, and we're thinking, and we know there's a, a, an amazing meal coming. You know, a great meal that we're going to have. Maybe a, a Christmas dinner or something like that. And we're looking forward to it and we're thinking, fantastic. You know, the temptation is there before the Christmas dinner because there's, there's, there's trays of, of crisps and sweets and things like that. Oh, you can stuff yourself on the crisps and sweets. It'll kind of spoil the Christmas dinner. You'll get to, oh no, I can't quite, I can't eat all of this now. There's things that we can do in our lives which just, which just take that edge off which means we don't enjoy God as much as we would. Your priorities may change. We may go to bed earlier on a Saturday night, so we're not waking up on a Sunday morning thinking, oh my word, I feel terrible. Because we want to enjoy God. Who knows? As I say, these aren't prescriptive things. Don't hear me me wrong. Don't hear me saying, you must be in bed by 10 o'clock on a Saturday night. I'm not saying that. That's legalism. But knowing God and knowing what we want out of life and knowing what's going to truly satisfy us will change how we are. And it will change the decisions that we make. Maybe you're aware. Maybe you're aware that actually you used to be like this. I do feel for some this morning. and As I was planning this morning, I just felt, I just felt, especially here, that there'll there's some here who feel, yeah, I, I used to have that passion. I, I've known God, and I used to have that passion for him. I used to know what it was to, to, to just can not wait to get into a meeting and meet with him and worship him. I, I remember what it was like to just love to come and be with other Christians. And actually now, I, don't, I feel a bit uncomfortable around them because I just feel I'm not there. You used to know what it meant was to delight in God's word. And now your Bible just sits at the side and it's rarely opened. I just feel God's wanting to say to you. He's not forgotten you. He's calling you back. He is the one who can satisfy. There's a song that uh, that I just think is a, a wonderful song if you're in that in that position and I just feel I want to play it to, uh, now. I don't normally think it's always great to play a song in the middle of a, a message. It's by a guy called Martin Joseph, and it's called Turn Me Tender, and it's just about being in that place where you just think, where's God? And it's a kind of prayer to God, will you bring me back? And I, I, if you're in that position this morning, if you're just thinking, how do I get back? It's God who brings you back. I just, uh, you just need to echo this prayer. Do you want me to just play it?
1: Happened again. The colorless sky has dimmed me again. And I've run out of and Hank Williams is grieving. I'm scanning the Psalms. When Jesus was here, they still let his palms. And the pledge and the vow is you find if you seek. But what if you try and find nothing but bleak? Turn me tender again. Fold me into you, turn me tender again, and mold me to new faith. Lost its promise and bruised me deeply. Turn me tender again through union with. of dollars but i'm down to a dime now there's wonder and awe in the mane of a lion but there's nowhere to go and i'm chapters from zion if you're still my cryptic and cherishing prayer with serenity kisses that soothe and repair turn me tender again fold me into you turn me tender again Unmold me to new, faith lost its promise and bruise me deep blue. Turn me tender again through union with you. A cast, a requiem play We'll gather the last And it sometimes tastes sour The sweetness of hope When the blizzards are raging On this lover's slope Yet I don't want to freeze here Inside our out For it's you that dissolves These cold walls of doubt but Turn me tender again Fold me into you Turn me tender again and mold me to new Faith lost its promise And bruise me deep blue Turn me tender again Turn me tender again And fold me into you Turn me tender again And mold me to new Faith lost its promise And bruise me deep blue Turn me tender
0: wants to bring us back to the fullness of a relationship with him. For some it will be the first time, and the joy of knowing it. For others, God's wanting us to rediscover what it is to hunger and thirst after him. To know our satisfaction in him. And he's here today, and he wants to do that. We just need to respond like the sun. Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. He who believes in me will never be thirsty. As we come to Jesus, we'll find that it is what our hearts have been yearning for. We'll know that the search is at an end. We'll never again need to look for this satisfaction. And yet in another way, we'll still yearn for the things of God until we're fully like him. Right in Revelation chapter 7, we get a picture of what that day will be like. That day when we fully know him. John says, after this I looked, verse 9, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, tongue, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding, white, uh, holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing round the throne and round the elders and the four living creatures. They fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to God, our God, forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. The sun will not beat upon them nor any scorching heat for the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's what waits for us. Springs of living water, the lamb at the center, us bowing down before him, every tear gone. And right now we still Hunger and thirst for that. But God is wanting to satisfy us. Even this morning, God is wanting to satisfy us and pour out his spirit on us and change our lives. Let's let's just come before him. Let's pray and then we'll respond to him.